0: We are going to read this morning Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. This is on page 941 of our Pew Bibles, Romans chapter 3. Uh, Paul has uh, begun the gospel, uh, his gospel to the Romans, his letter to the Romans, his epistle, which is perhaps the most clearest systematic statement of his teaching, um, by talking about the fact that he's not ashamed of the gospel. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, for the righteous shall live by faith. That's the thesis statement, chapter 1, verse 17, of his whole gospel. And that's what he's going to unpack. And he begins by talking about God's righteous wrath revealed against sin. And he says all Jews and Greeks are alike under condemnation. And and the conclusion of that message of God's law, the bad news that precedes the good news... The conclusion of that bad news is in 319, right before our scripture reading this morning. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by it, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the bad news comes first. We can't save ourselves by the works of the law. And that's what opens the door to his positive presentation of the gospel in chapter 3, verse 21. Let's read these words together. But now, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets were witnesses, bear witness to it. but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then... Overthrow the law by this faith? No, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Thanks be for God's holy word. May the Lord send forth His Spirit to uh, open our hearts to receive it and to believe it. Uh, we see there that justification is at the center of what Paul preached. He says he preached Christ crucified uh, in uh, Galatia or in to his, the Corinthians. And here he summarizes that same message as justification, the setting forward of God's righteousness in Christ who was crucified. That's what it means here, that that righteousness was made manifest at the present time. Well, in this uh, catechism series, we're going through the Belgic Confession at a little bit of a quicker rate, which gives us a different perspective on things. So today we are going to look at two uh, conjoined articles, two uh, similar articles, Article 22. Uh, which is not in our bulletin, and Article 23, which we did print in our bulletin. And uh, sometimes we read these corporately, sometimes we do not. And uh, this one I think it would be good to read together. So I'll read Article 22, and then I will announce when we can begin reading together from our bulletin, Article 23. We believe that for us to acquire the true knowledge of this great mystery, the Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts a true faith, that embraces Jesus Christ with all his merits and makes him its own and no longer looks for anything apart from him. For it must necessarily follow that either all that is required for our salvation is not in Christ, or if all is in him, then he who has Christ by faith has his salvation entirely. Therefore, to say that Christ is not enough, but that something else is needed as well, is a most enormous blasphemy against God. For it would then follow that Jesus Christ is only half a Savior. And therefore we justly say with Paul that we are justified by faith alone or by faith apart from works. However, we do not mean, properly speaking, that it is faith itself that justifies us. For faith is only the instrument by which we embrace Christ, our righteousness. But Jesus Christ is our righteousness, crediting to us all his merits and all the holy works he has done for us and in our place. And faith is the instrument that keeps us in communion with him and with all his benefits. When those benefits are made ours, they are more than enough to absolve us of our sins. And let's read together now about the justification of sinners in Article 23. We believe that our blessedness lies in the forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus Christ, and that in it our righteousness before God is contained, as David and Paul teach us when they declare that man blessed to whom God grants righteousness apart from works. And the same apostle says that we are justified freely or by grace through redemption in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we cling to this foundation, which is firm forever, giving all glory to God, humbling ourselves, and recognizing ourselves as we are, not claiming a thing for ourselves or our merits, and leaning and resting only on the obedience of Christ crucified, which is ours when we believe in him. That is enough to cover all our sins and to make us confident, freeing the conscience from the fear, dread, and terror of God's approach without doing what our first father Adam did, who trembled as he tried to cover himself with fig leaves. In fact, if we had to appear before God relying no matter how little on ourselves or some other creature, then alas, we would be swallowed up. Therefore, everyone must say with David, Lord, do not enter into judgment with your servants, for before you, no living person shall be justified. May the Lord bless not only our scripture this morning, but our lesson this morning to our reading and to our understanding. The doctrine of justification, brothers and sisters, was known at the time and after the the time of the Reformation of the doctrine as the doctrine of a standing and falling church. The doctrine of a standing and falling church. And it dawned on me as I prepared our lesson today that that could be understood in two different senses. The first sense uh, is that it is an essential doctrine. If you don't have the doctrine of justification, if you don't preach that you're justified freely by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, then you don't have the word properly preached that our catechism says is a necessary mark of the church. You don't have a church. A church that doesn't cherish and proclaim this message has lost that claim to being a church of Jesus Christ. So that's the first sense, and that's the common sense. You know, this is a crucial doctrine we must understand and confess this doctrine and so it is the doctrine of a standing and falling church but then I realized that there's another sense that I think it's important for us to grasp as well not only is justification an essential doctrine for the church of Jesus Christ but it is a controversial doctrine in the church of Jesus Christ that is to say it is a a doctrine of a falling church (laughs) it is a doctrine that is ever under attack both explicitly and implicitly. And I think it is fair to say that there's one fundamental fear that from the time of the church of Galatia, to the early church, to Pelagius, to the medieval church, to the time of the Reformation, to revivalism in America, to today, there is one fundamental fear that drives opposition to the doctrine of justification. How will we as a church emphasize this fear goes emphasize the necessity of holiness if we believe that the church is full of wicked people justified by faith alone later in romans paul will say i believe in the god who justifies the wicked he doesn't justify those wicked who've improved themselves he justifies them when they're wicked and this this proclamation that they are not guilty frees them to holiness It causes their transformation to holiness. How do we emphasize the necessity of this holiness if we say you don't need to be holy to be saved? And let me stipulate that the church does care about the holiness of the saints, of the church. That's why we also have, as a mark of the church in our Belgian confession, discipline. We are a disciplined body of believers who, who take vows of membership to love the Lord, to follow his law as we are able. So opposition to this doctrine of justification takes many forms. It takes practical opposition. Sometimes there are churches that teach the doctrine of justification, that hold to our confessions, that don't preach it on a regular basis. The preaching departs from it, practically. We say that what really matters is our holiness. And we put this doctrine on a shelf or in the background. Secondarily, there's also formal opposition. Ways of teaching, understanding the gospel, arise again and again and again that seek to form, formally undermine this doctrine with one hand, even as they teach it with the other. And this has occurred and is occurring even now in Reformed churches. We need to be aware of this. I, uh, I don't often do this, but I, I did have a handout this morning, and I had some on the back. I handed out a few. I have some on the front queue up here. I don't know, Simeon, if you want to grab. There's a stack of a statement that our church, the United Reformed Churches of North America, made uh, in 2007, the year of this church's founding, on the federal vision. Now, this is, this is sort of not level 101 church membership. This is kind of level 201 church membership. You don't have to be experts in the federal vision. But officers in Christ's church need to be experts in the federal vision because it is a modern way, a modern method of undermining the doctrine of justification. And it brought about a study committee in our churches and a report and a a formal condemnation. This is why, brothers and sisters, we consider ourselves, and we are, a church that is not only reformed but confessionally reformed. And by this we mean that we not only subscribe to our reformed confessions as leaders, as ministers. I will teach what is... Recorded what is stated in those confessions This a faithful summary of scripture. But that we use these confessions. That we have worship services organized around the teaching of the confessions. That we use them in our personal devotions. In our prayers. In our instruction of our children. We are robustly confessional. And I would say that since this is one of the two principal teachings of the Protestant Reformation. Along with the doctrine of scripture alone. Faith alone and scripture alone is the two pillars of the Protestant Reformation. That... Every adult member of our church should understand and be able to articulate the doctrine of justification in the basic, simple sense. I'm justified by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. You should understand what these three alones uh, mean. Martin Luther discovered the gospel in scripture. This gospel. Because it had been obscured by the church for many, many years. And that's why we say that the Reformation is founded on these two pillars. He found it in the Word of God. He found it in the epistle to the Romans. And he said, where has this been all my life? Where has this good, comforting news been all my life? It's been obscured by the church putting forward different authorities, different teachers. Instead of Scripture. Instead of God's Holy Word. And so together, the Protestant Reformation focused on these two reforms. Understanding that the word of God alone is the source of authority in the church. And understanding what it teaches about our salvation. That we are saved, in shorthand, by justified by faith alone. So first of all, what is the doctrine of justification? You might want to make a reference here to our Belgic Confession on page 862. First of all, our article 22 begins by saying that faith is a gift of the spirit. The spirit kindles faith in our hearts. In other words, justification is for believers, but as the catechism asks, where does that faith come from? It doesn't come from ourselves. So you see that right from the very get-go, the doctrine of justification says, we bring only empty hands. It's not something we do. We contribute nothing. So the Spirit kindles faith in our hearts. And what does this faith do? This faith, and this is a technical term we find in our confession this morning, is an instrument. An instrument. It's a tool. If you think of uh, you know Thomas the Tank Engine, my daughter was a big Thomas the Tank Engine fan. We even got like a little battery powered engine, you know, the wooden tracks and you, you put the engine on there and you could put a double A battery in and you hit the on button and it goes just we'll go all day until the battery dies, right? Thomas the tank engine. And Thomas is here and it's the tank engine, and then there are, you know, Clara and other little cars, passenger cars that connect to Thomas, and there's a magnet that connects them. Or if you're really riding a real train, there's a linkage, right? There's a chain or, or some sort of... There's actually sort of a, an officially invented thing that was a, a radical piece of technology for our trains would connect and disconnect. Faith is like that linkage. Faith is not a thing in itself that saves us. The engine is Christ. Thomas is Christ. Sorry, that's, that's huge heresy right there. Right? The power of our salvation is in the merits of the righteousness of Christ. That's what pulls us to glory. But we are united to Christ by faith. And so, faith connects us to Christ. He who has Christ by faith has his salvation entirely, our catechism says. Christ is our righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ. Luther called it an alien righteousness, by which he didn't mean that it was, you know, E.T. or on a spaceship. But he meant alien to us. It's not native to us. It's not born in us. It's not earned by us. It's outside of us. It's alien. And that righteousness that saves us, in a sense, remains alien. It's never something that you could look at Simeon or Chris or Emmeline or Harry and say, ah, yeah, there it is, the saving righteousness. Righteousness. It's not in them. It's not in us. It's in Christ. But it is ours. The language of Paul that we read this morning is, it is credited to us. This is what the word justification means. It's a legal proclamation. When my dad made his final payment on his house, this was seven or eight years ago, a few years before he died. It was probably one of the great accomplishments of his life. (laughs) He made his final payment, and he got a letter in the mail. The deed to his house. The mortgage was gone. The bank didn't own his house anymore. My dad owned his house, free and clear. And that was declared legally to be the fact. Now, he earned it. He paid for it. He worked a long time. But we don't earn it. But we get the piece of paper. We get the declaration, the legal proclamation that we are innocent. Not only innocent, we are holy. Our sins are taken away from us. Christ's righteousness is given to us. The great exchange occurs. Christ is, and our catechism, our confession, points to two things. It talks about all the holy works he has done for us and in our place. We call this the active righteousness of Christ. He is the second Adam. Where the first Adam, born under the law, failed, the second Adam succeeds. He obeys every command. He, alone, of all humanity, loves the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. For us. He has done these holy works for us and in our place. This is what we call the active righteousness of Christ. It's ours. When God looks at us, He sees the obedience of Jesus. But there's also this passive righteousness—the fact that He has paid the penalty in our place. Belgic Confession twenty talked about this: the justice and mercy of God in Christ. He is a substitute for all the debts incurred by Adam's sin. We talk about His supreme act of obedience is the obedience of Christ crucified. He obeyed his father when he said, you have to die on the cross for the sins of your people. And as a result, we rely entirely on Christ. If we relied, no matter how little, on ourselves, we would be swallowed up. There was a a, a meme sort of circulating in the Christian world a few years ago. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Christ plus nothing is everything. We must add nothing to Christ. And that's the whole gospel. That's it all right there. There are a lot of ways to tweak this. Oh, because this is a humbling message, right? Well, can't, it has to be something I have to do, right? Maybe it's, it's Jesus plus our decision. Maybe he just makes it possible we decide. That's the Arminian error, right? Or maybe it's, it's Jesus and how your faith starts to change you, takes on the form of love in your heart. That's the medieval Roman Catholic error. Or maybe it's Jesus and all of his righteousness plus how much you surrender to following him. That's the revivalist era of American evangelicalism or much of it. Or maybe, and a lot of our Reformed brothers and sisters uh, fall into this trap, and as I point out later in this message, every preacher is tempted by this, right? Maybe, maybe we think it's, it's Jesus and our real, our love for God, our moral improvement. And maybe we become preachers of moralism Maybe we still say, well, you're sa- yeah, you're saved by faith, but you'll really enjoy the comforts of the Christian life if you obey God. See, we put the emphasis on our moral obedience as the source of our comfort, as our peace. So we conclude, Belgic Confession 23, this is uh, near the end, the second to last paragraph. A wonderful summary but jesus christ is our righteousness crediting there's that word crediting to us all his merits and all the holy works he has done for us and in our place and faith is the instrument that keeps us in communion with him and all his benefits when those benefits are made ours they are more than enough to absolve us of our sins now just briefly uh, we don't need to look at it now in detail but a heidelberg catechism also makes justification the centerpiece of its teaching We're saved by faith. Where does faith come from? The Holy Spirit works it in our hearts. That's question uh, um, uh, 59. Um, But question 60 is really a goldmine. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments of never having kept any of them and of still being inclined toward all evil nevertheless without any merit of my own out of sheer grace god grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction righteousness and holiness of christ as if i had never sinned nor been a sinner and as if i had been as perfectly obedient as christ was obedient for me if only i accept this gift with a believing heart and then there's a second question we'll read it Six 61 why do you say faith alone because to emphasize that the faith doesn't add anything to this. It's just this instrumental cause. To talk about the temptation of moralism, uh, I'll, I'll tell a funny story. I was on uh, the, uh, the committee, I was the chairman briefly of the committee that uh, published our, our latest um, sort of revised, updated translation of the Heidelberg Catechism. And when we are translating this catechism, one of the other ministers on the committee, who shall rename mainless, would say, well, do, do, do we really believe that our hearts are still inclined toward all evil? Is that really talking about Christians? It is that—that's the amazing thing about this question. Is it says something that if you actually listen to it, is pretty, pretty horrific. Even as redeemed saints of the Lord, justification is the fact that God justifies wicked people. We confess that our hearts are inclined toward all evil, so we hold in one hand our humble confession of sin. And we hold in the other hand the glory of Christ's perfect righteousness. And that's the beauty of justification. And as I said, every preacher struggles with this. I want to turn now to a few of these challenges. Very, very briefly in conclusion. Every sermon I preach, it's hard. The fallen human heart. There's a little lawyer living within every one of us. We all want to earn this. We all want to deserve it. That's the longing of our sinfulness. Ye shall be as gods. That, the, that lie that the serpent told us. We aren't happy to rest in Christ alone as uh, the source and conclusion of our salvation it's only God's word it's only the word of our confession summarizing that word that anchors us to this faithful teaching of this doctrine very briefly I included handouts of uh, the URC's response to the federal vision and this is a long and very very complicated story um over the last 50 years, there's been a sustained challenge to the doctrine of justification from within the Reformed camp. And I put one of the origins in my understanding to this challenge, a debate that happened at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, a wonderful school, a paragon of orthodoxy. And there was a faculty there, faculty member there, by the name of Norman Shepard. And Norman Shepard began teaching and in classroom and, and publishing and writing about a different way of thinking about justification. And this teaching has... Uh, you know tottered on through the years it's filtered on and there was a movement in the late 90s and early aughts called the federal vision very influential if you're familiar with uh, the teaching of the CREC churches Doug Wilson in Moscow Idaho Um, most notable uh, origin of that body of churches and for a while they were explicitly committed to the federal vision and one of one of the houses where it was generated and propounded and that's not so clear anymore like many confusion errors in the church it's hard to find someone who admits to holding this view. And it's very hard to define it clearly. But the URC formed a study committee to look into this. Because it was raising all sorts of questions. He suggested, for instance, that there was a, a justification now and a justification at the end. And sometimes the Bible does talk about the final judgment as a sort of final justification. But Norm Shepard and then the Federal Vision used this as a way to say that we had to be sanctified. Our, our holiness between first justification and final justification, contributed to our justification, was a necessary part of that final justification, which confused these two teachings, which our confession makes very clear by two different articles. Sinners are justified, that's over here, and sinners are sanctified, that's over here. We confess both of them, but they're two distinct understandings and teachings of the gospel. R.C. Sproul was one of the many men who stood up in the church in the 1970s and early 80s and responded to the teaching of Norm Shepherd. He said uh, in a number of uh, theses that were presented to the local presbytery for the debate of this RC Sproul said thesis 23 illustrates the problem. Thesis 23 illustrates the problem. Good works, he's quoting now, good works though not the ground of his justification, are nevertheless necessary for salvation from eternal condemnation and therefore for justification. This thesis, Sproul responds, is replete with the confusion of formulation that I've already mentioned. The good works aren't the ground of, yet are necessary for. Justification? Which justification? If they're necessary, are they a condition? If they are necessary as a condition... Would they have some sort of merit? Sproul continues, What's the matter with the traditional view? That good works are necessary for sanctification, or are necessary as evidence of authentic faith. We acknowledge that our reward in heaven will be distributed according to works, not by the merit which imposes obligation upon God to reward them. So, one of the reasons I brought in this copy of the nine points of Synod Cherivelle, this response to the teaching of the Federal Vision, is that if you look at each of the nine points, um, if you want to take a look at it, you could just glance at it. It's not something to be memorized. Uh, but it is an important part of our history. You'll see that, that each of the nine points is grounded in our confession. The HC stands for Heidelberg Catechism. BC stands for Belgic Confession. So, point three, those, we reject the errors of those who confuse the ground and instrument of acceptance with God before the fall which is obedience to the commandment of life, with the ground, Christ, who kept the commandment of life, and instrument, faith, in Christ, of acceptance with God after the fall. And in Article 4, uh, we see that there's reference to Belgic Confession 19, 20, 22, 26. We anchor our response to false teaching in the church in our confessions. This is why they are an important part Of this local church of Jesus Christ, of our federation of churches, and of all confessional reformed churches. We have some visitors here from the Canadian Reformed Church this morning, a sister church in Christ. Our confessions anchor us when our hearts want to wander, want to stray. And you might think, well, this is awfully detailed, Pastor. Why, why, Why all this detail? Does this theology really help us? And when you look at our confession, when you look at even the coming articles in our confession... Why is this such an important doctrine? Why is it an article of a standing and falling church? Because it is the ground of our comfort. The medieval church was grounded on fear. If you've ever been to the Sistine Chapel in Rome, the last judgment of Christ, that amazing painting that occupies an entire wall, about five times the size of that, Michelangelo, Jesus is coming back. And sinners and demons and people are shrieking in terror and running away and terrified. And that was the motivation for holiness that the church clung to. We must strike the fear of hell into people to get them to obey God's law. That's the bit or the bridle for the horse or the mule. And the gospel says, you are forgiven. Blessed is the man whom the Lord doesn't judge. Because he's judged Christ in your place. The only true comfort in life and in death. Is knowing that we add nothing to this gift. That is given to us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Merciful God. We are so grateful this Thanksgiving weekend. For the gift you have given us. In your son Jesus Christ. In saving us from our sins. In calling us to new lives of obedience. And giving us a motivation and an incentive to this obedience, which is the righteousness of faith gifted to us in Christ. Taking away our fear, our guilt, our shame, and seating us in the heavenly places, even now, with Christ Jesus. To him be all the praise and glory, now and forever.